We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the True Faith Weekly Podcast, sponsored by Phoenix Taxis and Coaches. To book online, please visit www.phoenixtaxis.net. Hello, welcome to True Faith Weekly Podcast. This week it is me, Alex Hurst, Cy Campbell, uh, Michael Collin, and on Skype it's Michael Crean. Hello, lads. When did we start doing second names? Full names have we been have, a thing for, for we weeks have, now. I'm not comfortable with yeah. it. Yeah. Have you got stuff to hide? Is that it? Lots. Lots of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, obviously this week we're going to be talking about Newcastle's, in my opinion, disastrous draw with Vile, <laughs> uh, the worst team with the worst fans in the world. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the Premier League. Uh, in you know specific, we're going to go talk a little bit about Pep Guardiola and the level the Premier League is at. So looking forward to talking about that. A couple of games as usual, and I suppose this is the show where we say Merry Christmas to all the listeners. So Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. My Christmas has been ruined by Villa. It doesn't <laughs> matter. Never mind. Um, Big news, obviously, the last couple of weeks. There's a new True Faith out, free to download, www.true-faith.co.uk. Obviously, nearly everybody listening to this show uh, will read it anyway. If you don't, read it, you should. And if you do read it, tell your mates, because it's a free fanzine. It's the, probably the most widely read fanzine in the United Kingdom. Well, it is, realistically, for the numbers that we're getting. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, have a read of it. I've also got my match preview online. Went online just before Everton at home. And we're going to do a bit of a, a preview on this show. So, without further ado, Mickey. There it is. There it is. Sai, you cast United 1. <laughs> without As- further ado, Mickey. Sai. Well, I was just saying it because he does that. Newcastle 1, Vile 1. Does this result represent anything other than a disaster, or am I exaggerating? Disaster is a strong word, but I, I'm totally in agreement with you. I think me and you will probably... As gutted as we've been after a Newcastle match, well, just as gutted as when we've, we've taken a hammering at home, 1-1 at home to Villa, given the conditions, given how bad they were and how easy it should have been, is a disaster. It's crap. And as as we both predicted, McLaren was always going to come out and go, oh, well, you know, last two results were good, so seven points isn't bad out of three games. And that's what the media have latched onto as well. Oh, give them a break, they're doing all right. But it's not 7 points out of 3 games, it's 17 points out of 17 games. That's shite. And the only way you can make up for that is by winning this sort of game. So he's absolutely thrown away 2 points and it's a disaster. And what could have been a quite nice run into Christmas has just been kind of spoiled. So, yes. No, it was, for me, I said it in my match preview on True Faith. Me and Mickey talked about it on the radio show on Friday. Um, it was a chance to really, really kick on would have been seven points ahead of Sunderland now we're just five would have been for the first time in the whole season would be at a better than a point a game ratio yeah. for the first time this season would have gone 19 points from 17 games which is kind of respectable it's it's not good but it's not a, it's not a joke like yeah. like a point a game is 
Um, and we're, we're simply playing a team up again. I put me match preview for True Faith. Villa had the better of the second half. I don't think Villa have had the better of a ten minute spell this season in the Premier League. <laughs> like of any game, not that bad. Um, and we're just yeah, like no Christmas cheer. We we got mortal before the game. Happy birthday, Mickey. There you go. Happy birthday. Yeah, you're ruined. <laughs> so now everyone knows. Oh, you're ruined. I was going to say not everyone does. Not only does everyone know your full name, they now know your birthday. So credit card details are high. I'm pretty sure all that information could be used to set up some <laughs> sort of a sort of fake account. Um, but yeah, it was just rubbish. We'll go, we'll go into the specifics uh, of why it was rubbish. But yeah, in terms of momentum kicking on, three wins in a row, going to Everton at home. That it would have made Everton at home a freebie. And I've heard people saying, "Oh, what if you asked for four points from Spurs and Vile?" People have been buzzing. I, I wouldn't have been, like, I don't care. Like, if you'd have told me you're going to get four points from Spurs and Vile, I'd have only been buzzing if it would be Vile. Yeah. <laughs> like, we can't, we, we shouldn't be giving them any points. Oh, I don't know. Miggy, do you think the conditions had a had a, a big part to play in the result? Do you think that Newcastle's counter-attacking style would have been better suited had the ball not been holding up in the pitch? Well, yeah, I definitely think it did have an effect on the game, but that's beside the point, really, isn't it? Like, it had an effect on both teams. So it's not an excuse that we we didn't win the game. You can't say because of the, the conditions we didn't win the game, and that's that's all it was. Because it's not we missed clear chances, three or four. One in particular, De Jong's yeah. is, is a disgrace. Um, but three or four clear chances. So really, not like no, I don't. Sorry, I want to say yes. We absolutely lost the game because of the conditions, not because of the conditions themselves, because. Their manager. We're Drew, you know. Yeah. Well, okay, we're lost. We're lost. For me, it's a loss. We lost two points because Aston Villa's manager reacted to the conditions in a yeah. in the way that you should. He put a big lad on up front and they just started hoying the ball long to him and thought, you know, it could drop anywhere. We'll, we'll snatch something here. Whereas McLaren took off um, Cissé and De Jong, who were good at controlling well, the ball. Cissé got injured, but well, okay. yeah. He took off De Jong, who was, you know, linking up the plate yeah. and put on Perez and Mitrovic and just started trying to pass it around in the, the shy conditions. And we couldn't get anywhere. Like he just made the absolute wrong changes. Then he put Tovan on as well, like three well, players. He put, he put Absolute madness. Go on, Perez, bringing Perez on in that kind of game is just—it's just plain stupid. He's a technical player who needs a ball at his feet and tries mm. to beat a man. Yeah. You can't do that when it's when it's pissing it down the rim when the ball doesn't move. Everyone in the stand, everyone knew that he shouldn't have put Perez on there. Everyone, everyone yeah. in the entire ground. Bringing on Tovan again. I was kicking off about this today. We preview about Paul Dummett, and that brings that brings on to what you said about the log balls. We've got one defender, possibly two, if you look at Lascelles, but he's never going to get a game. Paul Dummett is many things. <laughs> he's good in the air, though. Like he is, he's good in the air. You never yeah, see Paul yeah. Dummett getting out jumped, out muscled. He's very limited as a as a technical footballer, but he's good in the air. He's got a good leap. And I've, I've, I'm watching Colaccini and Mbemba just basically like. <laughs> panicking against this shite player who cannot even get in Villa's team gestead and, and like, by the end of it they were just letting him bring the ball down they weren't even challenging because yeah. they kept losing the ball I'm thinking fucking hell put Dummett put Dummett at centre half put make Dummett man mark him if you need to put him Bember at left back he's played there before He'd be fa- Villa were bringing absolutely nothing down the right put him at, at we left back we could have played without a left back exactly and it's just for McLaren not to see that. And with Lukaku coming to St. James's, who's going to have a field day, eight games in a row he scored, he'll score. Like, he's got to do something. I mean, the only thing you'd say about that, I want to Everton made it, but you'd think probably, probably wouldn't play as many long balls yeah. Everton as Villa. But you're right in what you said. It was like, I mean, he was always going to bring Gusted on and they were always going to play, play long balls. So I think he'd been yeah. a bit kind to Remy Gard there because they've literally got no options and you can't do anything else than play long balls to him. Sure, he did it quite early though. And he was obviously reacting to the conditions which yeah, whereas McLaren just didn't seem to see I, what was going I'd on. I'd say you could criticise God because if it started Gusted from the start, they might have, they might have won. won. Yeah. <laughs> they would have won. Um, but back to, back to what... You said making that bringing Perez on was a farce. I totally agree. This De Jong off on fifty-eight minutes, three games in a row. Like, surely he's fit enough. Surely, if he can't play beyond fifty-eight minutes, he shouldn't be playing. He's he's been back. He hasn't been injured since August. Like, yeah, it's not it's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. I but think. Then, sorry to interrupt. The, I just want to get the point across that you're saying that he's brought Tovan on. People keep questioning this. So he's got no choice because Tovan is so ineff. No, when Yaldum so ineffective on the left wing because Paul Dummett is so bad as any kind of attacking threat it gets to the stage in the game where it's like shit we need a goal we're going to have to put Wijnaldum in a position he can do something 
And because Paul Dummett can offer no support going forwards, he has to bring Tovan on because he's got no one else to bring on as a winger to move in Wijnaldum inside. And then when when Wijnaldum did get moved inside, he started coming into the game. And I'm not saying you have to start Wijnaldum inside that we couldn't be any fucking worse than Anita was at the weekend. Mm. Um, you like you just just play a proper left back, play play and Babu. You know, I'm just I'm just sick of this, Paul Dummett. I'm sick of us turning up to the match with Paul Dummett playing left back. Did you see his tackle against? I, I don't even know. The, I don't even know who the villa players are, man. Never mind which one he tackled. I think I've heard about three. But it wasn't a tackle. He did the same against Mar. It's Sunder League. It's not even Sunder League stuff. Like it's like a vine. Like Paul Dummett's like on you know the Sunder League Twitter account where someone just absolutely flies into a tackle. He's doing it too often and it's not professional. And he gets booked and then he can't put a tackle in for the rest of the yeah. game. And I'll play him at centre half against uh, Everton, but it's not going to happen. But I'm just so frustrated. Like McLaren, just the same mistakes over and over again. And I'll put in my preview for Everton. Like I, I, I'm now getting to the stage, like I did with Carpet, where I know more than Steve McLaren. I've had enough. <laughs> like he clearly doesn't. Like how could he not see that Paul Dummett is having a negative, negative effect on the team as an attacking force? Not his. Not Paul Dummett's fault. That's no, not Paul Dummett's fault at all. He's a centre half. He's obviously a centre half. If you put Colacini at left back, he looks rubbish at centre half. But he would look even worse, wouldn't he, at left back? I never noticed because we sit in the corner, like past the corner flag in the east stand, almost. I didn't realise how fluky Colchini's goal was. Like until I saw sure. replay, yeah, where, like it just looked like a good goal from our angle. It was a shite goal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, Villa have got the worst keeper in the league, and we never tested them <laughs> all game. Maybe give us your player by player team review, which is much loved. <laughs> Apparently, um, I thought Elliot had a decent game. He didn't really do anything wrong. He couldn't have stopped the goal. It was an absolute screamer. Yeah. They they didn't test him. Like, it was just an unremarkable performance. Didn't do anything wrong. Well, I thought he made three or four good saves. I mean, we've been his right. biggest critics, but he made three or four saves. He, that he's actually playing pretty well, hasn't he? You've got to be honest. He, he, he continues to prove us, make me look silly by the fact I'm seeing not a Premier keeper. But he also continues to not make any saves you wouldn't expect him to make. That's yeah. true. But at least he's not hiding them in his net. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> At least he's not doing that, are you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought Yamat was totally ineffective. He didn't, I, I can't even remember him touching the ball. <laughs> Can you remember yeah. anything from the game? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. It's hazy, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but no, I, I don't think he contributed to the game whatsoever. He should be, against teams like Villa, I know it's, it was hindered by the conditions, but against teams like Villa, he should be like flying forward. Yeah, considering like the first four or five games of the season, Yamat was our only attacking threat. Where's that gone? Like, it's just disappeared, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, I thought he, I thought he was really poor. As you say about Colacini and Mbemba, you can put them together. They were they were very poor. They just looked lost. They looked like little lost boys playing against a man, <laughs> which is embarrassing <laughs> against someone that plays fast and villa. Uh, is he's just Paul Dummett, isn't he? Exactly what you said before. The other thing I've realised about Paul Dummett, we only ever call him Paul Dummett. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to be have his first and second name in case we get mixed up with the Dummett somewhere. Like. <laughs> Uh, yeah but yeah go on sorry Anita I thought was an absolute disgrace he can we talk about this for a second then go on with them but I want to come in after you've said you've been no feel free I read a, a report saying he only had he only made 15 complete completed passes um, in the game I said in my match preview on True Faith we talked about on the radio show this was going to be a massive test for Newcastle McLaren but also with Anita who was good at Tottenham and who was good against Liverpool when he wasn't given any time or space space and he didn't have to think or do anything lining up in the Premier League with Colback and Anita as a midfield too you're just asking for trouble this is pathetic isn't it's it it's just like I think too it was on the bench and fair enough isn't fit but you had the, you had the chance in that game I would have gone 4-4-2 you don't need to, you don't need to have a player in the whole fucking Aston Villa at home um, I'd let alone two yeah I'd have gone 4-4-2 and I'd have played Wijnaldum inside and thought, right, hey, there you go, lads. Like, have a go. It's Villa at home. We're not going to get beat. If I mean, under the conditions might have made it impossible. But I just think Anita's just not good enough. And it's it, everyone's entitled to their opinion. And there is, like, a small section of Newcastle fans, including some of the media, who are like, this Vernon Anita's, like, an unsung hero. Like, is he fuck? He's, he's not. He's, he's just not, not good enough. Really. Yeah, well, I think the stats speak for themselves there. Fifteen complete, like one one every six minutes. That's that's a disgrace. For a centre midfielder, centre midfielder. outrageous for the home team. Right. Um, so there you go. Yeah, callback. I think it fits in exactly that fact as well. I thought he was appalling. <laughs> uh, he didn't. He didn't offer anything. He didn't run with the ball. He didn't pick out any passes. He was just doing exactly what Anita was doing, which is 
sitting in front of our centre half. Doing what doing what we did for the first half, like first half of the first half of the season. Seven or eight games where we had two midfielders as deep as the centre halves. Yeah. Um Sissoko, in fairness to him, his his style of play is is what will be most affected by those conditions, so I think it's unfair to give him too much criticism. But he he just for me did exactly what he always does against the poorer teams and just couldn't be asked, didn't show up. Though he did create a great chance at the end out of absolutely nothing for Perez. Well yeah, he did. But the majority of the game he was I thought he was poor. Um when you had him, as you said before, Dodds, he was just totally ineffective on the on the wing. Um, but can we come on to that for a second? Sai, you were pointing out something to me several times during the game, something which is totally true. Can you remember what it was about our left side? Go on, go on. What was I saying? You kept pointing out. I make more sense when I'm drunk. Apparently. Through the game, that every time Dummett got the ball, oh, yes, yeah. I mean it happens every week. But go yeah. on, explain. But Paul Dummett gets the ball. And they don't put any men across the left side of the pitch for him. They don't pressure him. They, they leave the two men on the other side on Sissoko. When Paul Dummett's got the ball, they just let him have it. And he sort of jogs towards the halfway line. And then they'll just stand about 10 yards off him. He'll turn around and go back. Or he'll just ping the ball out of play or some shite long ball. They know he's absolutely no threat. They know he's not going to come forward. They stay where the threat is, which is Sissoko, which is well, there. The, the also, the also, so what normally what happens, say um, Yama yeah, so, yeah, gets the ball. They won't just let him travel up the pitch with it. No. Sometimes it happens because of the firing space, but someone will always be in front of him. And normally, a central midfielder will come across or strike or drop back in yeah. to pressure him. Um, and that that's good because it often that's where Sosoko gets a bit of space. And Sosoko and Yama are very good at working in tight spaces, finding players. So it's all right. With Paul Dummett, their right winger drops in on Winyaldum. So Winyaldum has the full back, the right winger, and a central midfielder slash a striker. And he's just totally crowded out. Also, the, because we'll have nothing in centre midfield, often Dummett ha- doesn't have any options in centre midfield as well. He's got nowhere to go, and Leicester did this. I mean, it's, it's almost like the, the, the teams that don't have to worry as much about Newcastle, like Spurs and Liverpool, didn't really do it as much. Like, they they probably don't spend as much time looking at the opposition. They kind of worry about themselves. But the teams that, I mean, like Leicester, who are very good at exploiting an opponent's weakness, Leicester and Vile. Both just Paul Dummett and Paul Dummett. They're just like you said. He just, you just like you said. Give him the ball. Don't pressure him. He'll, he will give you the ball back, or he'll go long. Yeah. And it's just, it's just. How can't Steve McLaren see it? And why, why when it when it happens, does Rob Elliott or the centre or do the centre half continually give him the ball when they, they know what's going to happen? Yeah, it just shouldn't be. It just shouldn't be a thing in a Premier League team that you can't pass the ball to one of your players. I think yeah. people, people, I mean, we had it with Williamson, didn't we? We're, Nobody yeah. wanted to give him the ball. People keep misunderstanding this as us having a massive good Paul Dummett. We're not having a massive good him. We know he's he can't play this position, and he probably knows it as well. Yet he keeps getting started at left back. Yeah. That's it, that's what we're, that's what we're upset it's like, about. It's like it's it's been happening for a year. Yeah. I know he's been injured for six months in that time, but whenever he's been fit, he's been an automatic selection at left back. <laughs> I can't. I can remember him having reasonably solid games, like where he's been. Oh, he was like Spurs away. He was all yeah. right. And but I can never like you know come away from a game thinking oh you know Paul Dummett was class. <laughs> I think it, it, the shameful thing is it'll have a massive impact on his career. He'll not get a transfer to anywhere like he could have if he'd been playing either playing centre half for us or had been let go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. If he'd moved to a Sheffield Wednesday or something two years ago and played centre half for them, he'd probably be getting tracked by some of the smaller teams in the firm as a centre half. But now he's just going to be known as a rubbish left back, <laughs> which he's not. Wijnaldum, maybe before I interrupted just thought he was ineffective um, again he's another one that was probably hampered by the conditions a fair amount but he just didn't do anything did he said it time and time again it's a real tough one this about how good he actually is because he's clearly got a lot of talent 6 or 7 goals and a few assists is excellent for mm-hmm. us as well who are, were terrible but um, he's like the 5th top scorer in the league on he's just points. so he's just so ineffective in so many games like we can't. We're not a good enough team to carry him. Yeah, he's inconsistent. Um, De Jong, his, his entire performance is just hampered by missing that absolute sitter. I, I don't actually think this is one of De Jong's best games. I still don't agree with just holding him off after sixty minutes again. But he didn't do much at all on Saturday. No, he didn't. He was he was much better in the previous. Two you know what games. he doesn't do? He doesn't give the ball away, which yeah. is good. I think he, I think he's just too slow against a team like that. Where you're gonna, especially where we're looking to catch him on the break. 
he doesn't make the move happen fast enough. If he's got Wijnaldum and Sissoko moving around, he doesn't pick the pass quick enough. He's he's quite frustrating like that. Or if uh, if Cisse was in a bit of space, or if Mitrovic was in a bit of space, he he takes two or three more touches. He doesn't lose the ball. You're right, but he ends up going back or going sideways because he's he's a bit too slow to to make things happen. And when we're playing that kind of wait for a chance and try and, and break, it doesn't quite work. I quite like him. I would have played Mitrovic and Cisse together up top against. Villa, honestly, the, yeah. that bad would have played two up top, but I didn't. I, I, I thought he did better than Perez, but like, oh, it's, yeah. like you say, Mickey, that chance is just unprofessional. The miss in the Premier League at the highest level to put a shite team like Vial to the sword two could have been could have been sat here buzzing, yeah, <laughs> off, off a five nil win, uh, and he, he's just got to score that. It's not it's not good enough for him, especially in the context of his Newcastle career. He owes us so much. He'll he'll be paid a few million quid by Newcastle for what we've had so far. He needs to. I think I said it on the the preview on the radio show, Mickey. It's all right and being neat and tidy. It's all right and having decent games. He's got to start scoring and creating chances. That's what he's in the team for. Yeah, and he's not. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. sums that sums up perfectly. So he said barely did anything before he came off, and Mitrovic didn't do much at all either. I wouldn't yeah, marked out the game. No. He's yeah. no good outside the box, just like Cissé. Really, I wouldn't give anyone about, higher than a six. The thing about Mitrovic is he just doesn't have shots. He, you never, you never think, oh, he had a good, good couple yeah. of chances there. He never seems to shoot. So, if he's your main striker and he's never having any shots on goal, it's just that's why. Even though we had those two excellent chances, uh, De Jong and uh, Perez, I think that uh, Wijnaldum had one good chance as well. Um, yeah, it was a great chance, Wijnaldum. Um, but Mitrovic isn't having any chance on goal. If, you, if you're at home to Villa. Shite, shite Villa, and your centre forward, fifteen million pound centre forward, isn't having any shots. You don't really deserve <laughs> to win the game. <coughs> I agree, but I also, I also think we just don't, we don't do enough for him. Like we're so slow and so ponderous with possession when we have the ball, and that's why it's much better when teams like Liverpool and Spurs have the ball and we don't have to do any thinking. Mm-hmm. Like I, I thought, Tovan did alright when he came in because at least he got he delivered three reasonable balls into the box. Now, Mitrovic got nowhere near them, but you put 20 balls into the box all game, you might have a chance. Yeah. As it stands, we just don't really attack him. I just worry I worry about Mitrovic in the sense that he's he's a good player and he did well when he came on against Spurs, but he, he came on against Spurs and were very much on the front foot and it was no surprise he made an impact. I think it's just a lot of McLaren's substitutions are just mechanical. And I know literally there's, there's no one else. Apparently, Rivier's been back in training for six weeks, but that's mental, so that suggests. <laughs> Who? Rivier. I know. Oh, right. So that, that suggests that they're probably trying to get him out the door and not risking yeah. his injury mm. and, and getting him back to full fitness. But then I go, we're a good enough team for whatever you think about Rivier to only have one strike on the bench. And it's just that, the, I mean, I know um, Mitrovic came on because Cissé went off injured. But it's I don't know I just get the feeling that McLaren doesn't really have any faith yeah. in him. For, for, yeah, for for three games running, he was just going to go for the exact same thing, like the two subs at sixty minutes. It was forced into the early one because as he say, like is that is that the best you can do, Steve? It's like oh, no. it's worked twice. So we'll do the exact same thing and, and, and rely on the subs. Different like, team as well. It's ludicrous. It's it shows such a lack of um, such a lack of invention. The, the, I thought the most damning stat I heard on the radio just before I came here. Um, it's been two years this day since Newcastle last had a penalty at St James's Park. Is it? Two, two whole oh, years. Oh yeah, that's. Like I, I think that just like goes to show how little we're getting. I don't know how down that is because we've been absolutely robbed. Can you oh, remember yeah. Southampton at home last year? <laughs> you remember Man U at home last year? This, yeah, there's been oh. one, there's been one or two calls, but I think um, I can't remember who was it to say on the radio. It's like you've got to get into the opponent's box. Yeah, to get that's penalties. good point. And. Again, like just we're playing against teams like Villa, and can you think of how often we're actually caught in the box? It's probably like two or three times in the yeah, whole match. Like, it's just, it's just pathetic. I came out of the ground uh, on Saturday, absolutely furious, saying that the last two results didn't matter, and McLaren has to go. Since then, I sort of, <laughs> that's such a mortal Mickey. <laughs> I, I tempered myself briefly, but I've come back to it. Like that kind of game is McLaren's an absolute an must-win. And the yeah. two results against Spurs and Liverpool were were essentially in spite of McLaren and not because of them. Yeah. And this was a McLaren result. 17 points from 17 games is, a, is not acceptable for a Newcastle manager, particularly not one that's just spent 50 million quid to make us no better than we were under John Carver. The man... Yeah. We're better than we were under Carver, but I'll take your point. We're no better than we were under Pardew. For me, he's got to go. He has to go. What, what worried me about him... I mean, this is... You're answering me last question now, but we'll, we'll, we'll go with it. Um... 
I was going to finish off this section on, on end if any of us still have any faith in McLaren. The worrying thing about me is it's it's his patter. Now, he said all the right things at the start of the season, top eight, cup runs, and he's very, very quickly backtracked on that. Um, but it's it's like we were sat in this ridiculous all you can eat food place after the match <laughs> just because we were so drunk and angry um, that... I think I said to you, Si, I said, I bet he comes out and says what he actually ended up saying. What would have been nice to hear him say is that was two points dropped. I mean, which he did kind of say, saying we had enough chances to win the game. But he, he should have come out and said, listen, if we want to stay in this league, we should be winning games like this. And instead, he's like, oh, no, we'll keep the run going seven points out. And I'm really happy. We'll, we'll, we'll not be in relegation trouble. Yeah, well, you said that at the start of the season and then you turned around and said, I'd be delighted with 40 points and I'll have a party if we stop up. And, I live in, it's just it, going go to the match is shit like the atmosphere was actually quite good on Saturday Yeah, it was. I was pleased with the atmosphere um, going to the match is shit and I wrote this in the Everton preview for the match which is on True Faith now for the, the, the week ahead saying the last time I enjoyed going to St James's Park and Norwich doesn't count because and Liverpool doesn't count because we're in the shit because like you're not just like that Everton game on the 28th of December last year was like it was just a fun, enjoyable game. Yeah. Newcastle played with the handbrake off. Pardew told the players before the game that he was going. So whether the players were just like, fuck it, we're just going to play, sort his instructions, or whether Pardew was just like, fuck it, go out and have a go. We could have won that game 7 or 8 too. Like, we played that well. Yeah. We hit the post twice. Uh, Tim Howard's made saves. Like, I remember seeing Remy, Remy Cabela missed an absolute sitter, like an open goal. It was a really enjoyable game. And to go a year without... Anything to cheer, like realistically, what have we had at home? And we beat Viral 1 0, that was alright. We're a terrible game. We beat West Ham, but that was relief. Yeah. That was exactly. a good day, but Every you shouldn't t- be exactly. put in that Every position. Every time we win a game, though, it's just like a weight it's, off your shoulders, isn't it? It's exactly, like, it's like yeah. not having to worry. Yeah. And like for, for McLaren to say that, oh, you know, uh, we, we played really well, and just like, we fucking didn't, man. Like, we were shit. Yeah. Villa were shit. And we, we, we dragged down to their level, and all the part they're running at the game about this being the time to kick on was just it's just a waste of an opportunity now if we turn around and we beat Everton um, then fantastic then it would take it all back but it's, I can't see it happening and for that reason I'm going to bring Mike uh, into the podcast earlier this week um, to tell us a little bit about Everton and their season so far um, so Mike what have you made of Everton so far because Roberto Martin is starting to uh, pick up a bit of criticism Yeah, I agree. I mean, they've only lost four games this season. Only, I think, Arsenal, Leicester and Man City have lost less games. But they've also drawn eight, which is many as 
which is as many as Spurs, the most in the league. And I think they've only won four. They've only won a, one more game than us. And we're, we're actually only five points behind them if we'd have beat yeah, them. If we'd have won only, on. They've only won two in nine or something like uh, that. The, 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 then, then this was their first defeat in nine in all competitions. Yeah. But they just keep drawing games. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what worries me about Everton is that they do create chances. And I, I watched them live twice recently against Palace and Norwich. And both times they should have been four or five up. The chances they created. And then both times they ended up hanging on for the draw, which they got. It's going to click soon, I think. It's, it's got to click. They're going to actually start putting some of these sides away. And I'm, I'm really worried that it could be... It could be us on uh, Saturday, Boxing Day. Si, would you change anything? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Cissé is out now, isn't he? So yeah. we're going to be forced into that change anyway. How long was he out for? Four weeks or something at least. Was it? But that's yeah. going to be it for Cissé. Back the one um, that should be it for his career here. It's, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because we're just crying out for something different and for actually playing four four two, not four two two one one. None of this like lone striker, especially Mitrovic, is not going to work. He, he's better than Cisse at that idea. You can probably hold up the ball a bit better. I but disagree. You want, you I think has proved in recent games that he's got far more football experience and intelligence and knows when to close down players and expend energy and he's held the ball up a lot better than the yeah, Mitrovic did um, I don't know if, if we approach the game like we have the last three and just sit back and absorb pressure for as long as we can against Everton Lukaku will just score <laughs> he'll just score against me yeah. um, Barkley or someone will run through it's just the, the, I think Mike's right they're probably better than they've, they've shown so far but I mean for a team that's got Lukaku who's the best striker in the league Vardy's on on an up on a you know an outrageous run, but Lukaku just the amount of goals he scored at his age uh, over the last three seasons is, is obscene. He's he's the yeah. best striker in the league. Um, he's got to be worth fifty million quid. Yeah. Like and he's, and he's got, just a class player. Yeah. And they've got a centre half who's probably worth about the same, like yeah. John Stones. Other than that, they're not they're not that good. And I think it's it's a team we should be like taking it to. We should be playing four four two. Perez and Mitrovic. <laughs> but on the flip side of that, to play four four two. And teams are doing it. Leicester are playing four four two. Watford have, have even yeah. played some four four two, and they're both doing perfectly well. A lot of four four two. And you just need a centre midfield to be able to do four four two. You need two solid centre midfielders who aren't below five foot ten, who aren't just weak as piss, and who aren't completing one pass every six minutes. Like, I think like more importantly, sorry, you need strikers that can. Stri- I know Mike wants to talk a little bit about four four two later, but you need two strikers that can stretch the play. Yeah. to make sure that the opposition defence isn't pushing right up towards halfway yeah. so that your defence in midfield are swamped in that it's that kind of stretched football which we all used to love back in the day in the yeah. 90s and that even the the, mid, the early 2000s when it was a more I mean I don't know the goal stats the goal stats probably don't back this up well the shot stats don't but games felt a lot more even because yeah. if you've got two decent strikers playing you've got a chance yeah. that's how it feels it, you know, it's, I mean while Leicester and Watford come in again they've got strikers who'll actually run run at the defence yeah. or Whereas, in, more important in behind the defence yeah you feel like Mitrovic is always facing his own goal you feel like Cissé is the same and they're both in their own way do alright but it's just a rubbish way to play and against someone like Everton at home the only way we're going to get something out of the game is if we approach it more positively and I mean centre midfield I need to run callback back. I think we're probably a little bit harsh on Anita. He's, he's clearly got something about him, but he's just not suited to this ridiculous just in front of the defence role. I think he, he can do more than that. Same with Colback. He's been forced, like when we first signed him, he was playing almost in the other team's half all the time. He rarely gets out of his own half now. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it can't be that hard. I mean, Leicester's centre midfield is, is Danny Drinkwater and um, that is a can, Kante. Yeah, yeah, who's been excellent. Um, they are good, um, but that's just two players. That's, that's all you need. Watford as well they've got like Kapoor and I don't know who else Ben Foster's been playing alongside him Watson Watson, Watson. <laughs> um, it's it's that it's just 4-4-2 it, it's, it's what I would it's what I would do but I, do, I wouldn't do it with Anita and Callback in centre mid I'd play TOD um, I think we're going to get beat off uh, Everton I'm sorry to be so yeah. negative it's been a bit of a negative show but we, you kind of you kind of play a team who, who've now picked up 7 points from 17 games and not, if you can't beat them there's something seriously wrong with you mm-hmm. Mickey I'm going to leave the final word of, of this part of the show to you do you see any hope for Aston Villa? <laughs> no <laughs> I don't 
We've done it to death on Villa, but they are absolutely dreadful. Like we were, we were atrocious on Saturday, and they've only they've only got something out of the game because they scored an absolute screamer, and we've missed three or four yeah. guilt edge chances. Yeah. That's not going to happen for them every game. They're they're definitely definitely going down, and good fucking riddance. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Premier League quickly after Dogger's listeners game. Last week, no listener got the game. Had a few people in pretty close to it on Twitter. And uh, the question was, what was unique about Newcastle's season at the end of the 98-99 season, or the last six weeks from the 3rd of March onwards? Lads, did you, you didn't think about this at all, did you? As soon as we're not allowed to guess it on the show, you kind of forget about it. Um... Basically, we won more cup games than we did league games in the last six weeks of the season, and that was one that win against Spurs in the semi, and we didn't win any of our last like eight. <laughs> and I've in my it's since I haven't been able to find another Premier League team that's done that. Yeah. So that was unique. a bit of a tough one. So this week, Doggers listeners game, um, I would like the listeners to get in touch at TFWT Pod. What links Les Ferdinand, Ian Wright. Didier Drogba and Wayne Rooney. What links Les Ferdinand, Ian Wright, Didier Drogba and Wayne Rooney? Please get your um, answers to me on TF Pod. If you get it right first, I'll we'll read your name out, basically. Are we allowed to do this or not? Yes. But only after the podcast? You could you could give us a shout now if you want. I don't know. What I was oh, saying. yeah, yeah, let us know. There's no Doggers game this week because I didn't have time to do it. Oh. Um and we must crack on because we're running out of time a little bit here. So, Mike, over to you for the Premier League section of the show. Uh, and I think, first of all, we're going to talk about English managers regarding Alan Pardew's recent comments to the Times that he thinks they are considered as an underclass and aren't given the chances or the credit that they deserve. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, uh, it's quite apt that it's Pardew. Saying that, seeing as uh, going to talk about Stoke and losing at home to Palace this weekend as a kind of not a perfect example of this, but a, a, a kind of a signal um, on the way I, I think English managers get their message across to players necessarily. I mean, if you look at Stoke, I know we, we talked about them a couple of weeks ago after that, that performance against Man City where they were, they were excellent. And, and, and said at the time that the real test of that team was going to be consistency. Can they do it in those home games like Palace at home? When you're, when you're penciling that in as a win um, to, to, to consistently keep moving up the table. And, and they didn't. Now, I'm not saying that you expect Stoke to, to win every other game and, and be in the Champions League, League spaces, but it, it got me thinking really about whether those British managers, you look at Mark Hughes and he was a, he was like a player at the top of the game, hugely competitive player, but they don't seem English managers to be able to get that message across consistently to, to the players. A lot of teams will they'll, they'll get themselves up to big games, but, but they won't necessarily be able to do it week in, week out. And as I say, I'm not talking about them getting into Champions League, but you look at Southampton from last season, and consistently churning out, they consistently churn out those good results at home um, to, to, to get them to the top finish. Um, and if you look, a lot of people, like Pardew's alluding to, uh, are saying that the British managers just don't get a chance in the big jobs. Now, Obviously, we had Moyes and, and Ferguson, and we know exactly what happened happened there. But I think that, that it, it's too simplistic just to say that the big clubs that you know they, that they should be giving these managers a chance. When you look at them, there's been so many British managers over the past 10, 15 years that, that have been lauded, yet they haven't got the big job, and there must be a reason beyond just the fact that they're British. If, if, if you look at it, you look at these top clubs, the top four or five clubs in the country. Regardless of, of, of who the owner is, they will be looking at their successful business people. They, they, they want to be in the Champions League, they want to be at the top of the game. They will leave no stone unturned to, to find the best managers um, for the job. So that there must be something to it that, that, that these British managers don't have that, 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 that extra 5-10% to, to, to get out of teams every week and consistently turn over a team that, that has that desire and that mentality just to win, win, win. And, and adapt when things aren't going their way um, and, and then if you look at obviously the, the names that are banded around for, for the potential next England manager then it doesn't really fill you with, with any more um, any more hope that that will change I, I just think that, that there's that extra but we've got a lot of good British managers and I don't think it's necessarily that they're not given a chance I think I think that, that there is a 5 or 10% missing 
where that, that they can't consistently get that that win at all cost mentality into their team. So I'm not sure why that is, but 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 I think there's more to it than just saying we don't get the chance. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that you've said there. Um, it's always really hard to argue with Mike because he's clearly put a lot of yeah. work into what he's saying. <laughs> Going to say that's He's a right. well a well thought out yeah. argument. In yeah. my grievance, which I wrote in the special last week, is uh, an extension of what you've said there. And it's like it's 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 I think it's hard to evaluate the job British managers do because they are so relentlessly talked up in the media. It's like you know if you compare the job of say Mark Hughes and Alan Pardew this season to the job of Claudio Ranieri and um, Flores at is it Sanchez or Flores? Keep yeah, Flores, Flores, yeah, both. <laughs> um, at, at Watford, like, Alan Pardew's doing a good job, we'll have to admit it. Mark Hughes is, is for me, doing okay. Nothing, You know, they're, they're like 11th or something, 10th, 12th. They've, so they've only scored 14 goals. They're defensively sound, but as Mike says, they tend to drop points when they shouldn't. Yet these two managers are constantly talked up. And I know people have been giving Ranieri credit and... Um, Hughes credit but can you imagine if Pardew was top of the league with Leicester by th- currently by four points five points before before balls kicked in Man City Arsenal um, and could you imagine if Mark Hughes had Stoke up like one point off the top four like it'd be because because everyone's so keen to talk up English and British managers it makes uh, ob- you know observation like you've just done there Mike very well you don't you don't get that kind of analysis in the media you constantly get when are people going to start talking about the, the job Mark Hughes is doing? Well, what like what job is he doing? He's he's got a mid-table Premier League side like Stoke in mid-table. Do you think it's also at the point of kind of like never mind the media talking up, but the fact that the British managers are, are more than willing to talk themselves up? Obviously, obviously Pardew will do it well, but we've seen lots of Bruce and that do it in the past as well. They're, they're, they're certainly not backward in coming forward about about embellishing a, a half decent job. Totally agree. I think that's a re- another very good point, and it's uh, Bruce is a really good one to raise there because he, you know, for his name to even have been mentioned with the Manchester United job, there's no way anyone now. I mean, just just say Watford fall off and finish tenth. That's still more than Bruce pretty much has ever achieved in his whole career. I think he got a ninth once with Birmingham, but you look that's in a 10-15 managerial career, and you'd say Sanchez and Ranieri are going to achieve more now. Than he he's ever done, probably will ever do. Yet they would they would never be linked, even if it's just by friends in the media. And that's an issue, isn't it? Friends in the media. Tony Cascarino coming out this week and seriously getting a lot of column inches and a lot of airtime about Pardew for Chelsea. Like what what has Alan Pardew achieved in his football career to 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 to, to, to be given that job? Every other job who's been given a job like Chelsea, Man City, Man United, all of the managers. Are kind of constant winners of yeah. won across Europe in the Champions League. So, and I know that it's the chicken and the egg argument because until a British manager gets given the chance to lead a team in European competition or for the title, and that's what Sam Dice would always say, "Give me the chance." Um, it, it, it's a hard one, but I, yeah, I totally agree with everything you say there, Mike. It's, it's a very flawed argument, and it's also a little bit sad from Pardew saying things like that. It's just indicative of the I, guy. I just feel like Pardew just wants to be heard. I just think he needs to have his voice heard. He doesn't have to be coming out and saying that, really, does he? I don't want to talk about Alan Pardew again, but he's just done a podcast with Graham Hunt now, released today, just full of shite. Just like, I'm not watching it, listening to it. Listening to it, yeah, saying that the Castle fans got him down and like he never got really had our support. and like Fucking got us down? You got, you, you, yeah, got us down. And it, just, it goes about this usual thing, and Palace fans are always chirping in on Twitter at us. It's just like... Fair enough, Alan Pardew did a half-decent job at Newcastle for a part of the time it was there. It went disastrously long. When, when it was going well, you, you had, got you, you, had you, got load, you got loads of support. Yeah. People sang Alan Pardew's black and white army around the stadium. All I'll say to this is, Alan Pardew lost four games in a row to the worst Sunderland team that has ever existed. Yeah. That's got nothing to do with Mike Ashley. He had a superior team in better condition, and he still managed to lose those games because he can't manage teams when they're expected to win. Yeah. Maybe, he's, maybe he's improving. Mike, speaking of genius managers, Guardiola. <laughs> yeah, the Premier League. Yeah, we might, might as well get out of the way now because I think we're going to be talking about, the press is going to be talking about this for the next, well, uh, however many months until he finally makes a decision um, about where he's going. But yeah, it was, it was probably more important than his press conference this weekend outside of England than, than any of those going on uh, 
across the Premier League, I think. So if you look at the uh, the amount of teams he could potentially go to, I mean, City are probably the, the safest bet with the, the old Barcelona connection with um, the, the Giristan and, 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 and Soriano that are already behind the scenes. But you look at you look at Chelsea, obviously, quickly got hit again until the end of the season. would be the perfect manager for Abramovich, the, the part of football he's always wanted to play. You look at United, LVG will be... Yeah, I, I think that I think it's pretty. It, it, it's interviewed off the game for the first time since he's been at United. That I've seen him look really, really un, uncertain and just. But he, he was very, very meek for himself. He just, just came out and seemed to question his own ability. Yeah, I say he's a man with no answers, Mike. He's never had them, but he, especially <laughs> now, he has no answers. I thought I'd give you a, a little chance to. to well, it's not. I don't, I don't even know go on about it anymore because me issue. If, if Louis Van Gaal's rubbish, then he's rubbish, and it, it's fine. My issue was that everyone just this like both Manchester United fans and the media just seem to accept his rank mediocrity, despite the resources at his disposal, as some sort of like really slow charted progress. As if as if they were like a newly promoted club, like the, they've been so bad under him and so dire to watch. It's like everyone's kind of twigged onto it now because the results have fallen away. So I can't really complain anymore because everyone's slagging them off and all the Man United fans want them gone. But just like Watford doing well this season, I was proven right in the end after getting <laughs> laughed at in the opening pod for having them 11th in the league. Well, 11th is still pretty ridiculous, but uh, we'll, we'll back to back to Guardiola. Um, I, I guess the I mean. I think City would probably be the destination, but I think the likelihood is that the main thing really is that Guardiola becomes the Premier League. It's likely to be someone undercut and the deal will be done while someone, a Pellegrini or a, or a Van Gaal, for example, is, is still in their job, um, which will, will probably bring a few kind of um, moral questions from the press. But uh, well, from my point of view, I think you've got to accept that happens and if your club doesn't plan when they're going to sack a manager, then it's uh, it's uh, it's a pretty damn poor state of affairs. But it'll be interesting to see where he decides over the next few months. But I'll put me money on City because, um, to be perfectly honest, I think we went on record in the pod last season. Very surprised that, that Pellegrini um, got another season this year. Um, certainly in the summer, it seemed nailed on towards the end of the season that that, that he'd be gone. Um, and it, you know, it's easy to think that that those Barcelona connections and City. Kind of tip Guardiola the wing and, and they had a sort of gentleman's agreement that you know that that came, could be coming. So just keep Pellegrini in the job for a year. He won't cause you any trouble and keep things ticking over and then quit get Guardiola. So that's what I can see happening. I'm, I'm just disappointed that Mourinho's gone before before he comes. So we won't have that that the renewal of the of the Barca Real Madrid span. That, oh, uh, be so good. Quite ridiculous. That would right, be well, Certainly for my uh, press conference blog, that would be an absolute dream. Definitely, you can catch uh, Mike's press conference blog every week on the True Faith website. But yeah, of all the crack in the moment is Mourinho's nailed on for Man United, but he he won't allegedly, according to journalists, they've tried to, to have talks with them and he won't speak to them while Van Hal is still on the job because they're such good friends. Um, but he, but he would, he's desperate for the job. And it's it's this box office, isn't it? And I know we all know, me especially, about... Um, you know, City, and I, I hate City more than any other club because of the people that own them, and we're just conveniently forgetting the Premier League that the royal family which owns City, it's punishable by death to be gay in their country, which they rule, but we don't mind that because, the, you know, they've got good players. Um, but it would be so good to see Mourinho and Guardiola <laughs> just, like, go nuts. And, and, and people say Graham Hunter um, and, and other respected Spanish journalists, or Spanish football journalists, say that that duel with Mourinho just like killed Guardiola like the he just ran out of patience he's like basically like a broken man because it just it's just one of those things where like how am I just don't be such a dick and he just Mourinho every time like last season when he won the league in his press conference at Chelsea he still had a little dig at Guardiola <laughs> when they were like oh is this your favourite ever title he goes yeah this is my favourite title because this is the best league in the world and this is the hardest league maybe one day I'll go to a league where you, just, where, where you could put the kit man in charge and he could win the league which is basically a massive dig yeah, <laughs> at yeah. Bayern and it's true because they're, they're just they're so far ahead of the competition but Mike what are your thoughts um, on Guardiola and whether he'd be a success in the Premier League because Jonathan Wilson wrote a piece for the Guardian this week raising a lot of questions not, not really kind of um, saying that it definitely wouldn't work but saying that Guardiola's style is just so untested in the Premier League and when it's been 
um, tried, you know, when people tried to implement a really high pressing game in the Premier League, it just hasn't worked. Yeah, no, it, it'll be interesting because it certainly is, as you say, having gone to Bayern, it's kind of issuing. I, I, I know it's it's an impressive going, doing it in Spain and then and then and then winning everything in Germany. But if, if you look at that that German league and it's uh, it's tampered out as the you know, the, you know the the, the greatest league, the the way the way to model with football. But if you look how uncompetitive it is, it is at the top of the league and how Bayern just dominate and how much how much money they have in control. Over the rest of the league, then it, it's um, it's not a, a massive a massive achievement um, for him with, with that team set up as well. Um, so I think with, yeah, without sounding arrogant, I would agree it, it is more of a test coming over to to, to to the Premier League. But given that, given looking at the standard at the top of the league this year, I think you could you could you could see you could see him coming in and, and winning it because you look at how the top teams have performed this season. I think. It's there for the taking for everyone, really, isn't it? Um, so I, I think um, I think as long as that as, as long as that sort of standard continues, if he comes in next season, I, I think he can have a have a good chance, regardless of the the tactical um, changes that he that he'll enforce when he comes in. But yeah, it's an interesting challenge, and I think that the nature of him that he he's willing to to give up a, a you know a cushy job at, at Bayern. Um, and he's willing to leave Barca shows you know he's got the character to, to challenge himself which I think will will stand him in good stead and, 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 and he'll be able to adapt and, and tweak things to, to 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 suit the Premier League so I, I think he, I think he would be a success <laughs> I know I agree with everything you're saying the guy's a winner and he he, he has he has revolutionised football but if he wants a proper challenge come to Toon <laughs> go to the City and they'll give you 150 million to spend with their like already ridiculously like hyped squad, it's a challenge, but it's not exactly uh, it's not exactly starting a football manager as Gator, is it? Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, although I would love to see that. Yeah, you'd see <laughs> someone from the, from the top of the league. So now I'm taking on Plymouth. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not going to happen, is it? I suppose what you're saying there uh, leads us onto the last point uh, quite well, which is how strong or good is the league this year because everyone normally especially in Germany bemoans the lack of competition year on year top four is a closed shop top six is a closed shop well this year it's anything but and all everyone seems to everyone seems to have a desire to moan now about the quality oh the teams aren't good this is never the best league in the world the teams are rubbish well how you can't you can't have it all what do you think Mike is this is this foot would you would you do you prefer this season to other seasons or would you rather see uh, a level of football which does um, mean that the, the the teams with the best players and best resources perform to the potential. Well, as a as a fan of a team that's not in the Champions League and never will be, I personally join the club. <laughs> I, uh, I I hanker for those days when, like, even when Ipswich last went up in two thousand, when we finished fifth in our in our first season back, um, you know, got ready again the next season, but that last part of the bye. But the still hanker for those days when a team can go up and can have a real like within their first couple of seasons and then usually can have a real chance of, of being right up there and in the mix and and I think this season has been brilliant I, you can't have it both ways I think you're right you, it's fair to say we've all absolutely loved how Leicester have played the fact they're top of Christmas love the fact that Chelsea have completely imploded I love the fact that, that United can't get tuned out of, out of hundreds of billions worth of players and, and that Arsenal are exactly the same old predictable Arsenal they're going to going to mess up when, when, when it looks like all set. So I, th- I think it's great, but I think ultimately when people say that they judge the strengths of leagues and there's always that argument that, you know, if you put, you know, team for team, the Liga or Bundesliga against the Premier League, then, then the Premier League's a stronger league. But ultimately, I think you judge the strength of the league by the strength of the top teams. So how are they performing in Europe, those, those top four um, in Europe? And I, and I think this season we've, we've seen the other side of that where teams that are having a mare in, in the league obviously the British teams have not been convincing in Europe this season or for a fair for the last for the last several seasons really so I think it's a double-edged sword but ultimately when you when you judge the quality of the league excitement and quality is, is different I mean the league's been incredibly exciting this season um, and, and, and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it but if you look from a pure quality point of view, I think you've got to judge that at, at the top of the league in those teams in Europe, um, the, the cream of the league. And, and, and I think at the moment that that's lacking um, in, in, in quite severely. When you, when you look back at 
Chelsea's and, and Mourinho's previous reign, like the Arsenal's in the early 2000s and, and Ferguson's United, when they were so dominant, the team could just go there and, you know, no chance. Um, we've not seen that for a while, um, and, and I think that, that while it's so exciting, if you want that quality in the Champions League and, and, and to put England at the, at the top of the top of the European table again, um, then, then then you can't have the, um, the, the, this sort of uh, this sort of league at the moment. So um, I personally prefer the excitement, but um, you, you can't go and moan about the quality in the Champions League if you if you enjoy this. I don't think. Yeah, lads, any thoughts on that? I agree with you. I think the point about judging the league on the top teams is absolutely right. Like nobody. Nobody cares whether Stuttgart would beat West Brom. <laughs> like really, it's all it's all dependent on how the top teams are doing in Europe. And I think you're completely right, Mike. I'd much rather see a league where someone like Leicester can can be top at Christmas and have the top scorer in the league than if it was than it just being Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea every single year. Yeah, and uh, I, I saw a really good argument to this on Twitter, which may or may not uh, be correct with depending on on, on your outlook, but. Long term, the more competitive the league, the better it is for the game in the country. You want to look at the the golden days of Scottish football, when many believe Scottish football was superior to English football with the mid to late 80s, maybe the early 90s, but specifically that mid-1980s period, when Aberdeen were class, Rangers, Celtic, even Dundee United were up there finishing second. So that the competition in that league created... It was more exciting. The, the standard got better and better because there was more competition. Attendances went up, and I know. And if you look at it now, it's it's arguably never been lower in Scottish football history because it, because one team is so dominant. And if you look at the Bundesliga, um, as, as as the example we've cited there, and if you also look at uh, Juventus and Serie A, when Juventus were under Conte, winning non-stop. And, and France under Lyon and the Paul Le Guin when they won seven in a row, those teams never did anything in Europe, because because the the lack of competition in, in a domestic league, when it gets to a point where teams like Celtic, like Lyon, like Juventus even in Serie A, even Inter in Serie A, the Mancini four in a row, never did anything in Europe. It gets to that point where because the players are so used to winning without having to think or try or work, eventually you'll start to see a, a, a drop in quality. So. It's not. It's maybe not a short term. You're right. The quality has dropped, and, and you have to say that Juventus. Uh, well, yeah, Juventus beat Man City, um, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern, even PSG are at a level which the English teams can't currently touch. I'd much rather see the league blossom like this the next three to four years, and I think eventually you'll see the quality come to the fore because competition produces results long term, and people have to be good. And if you look at the Premier League in the mid '90s and in the, in the the mid 2000s yeah it was only you know for Newcastle for a while Man United Arsenal then Chelsea Leeds as well you know that that kind of period of competition where no one ever like even Arsenal's Invincibles didn't walk the league it was still a competitive title race and you had a competitive title race from 0102 to basically when Jose Mourinho came in the the result at the end of that was a period of domination by English clubs because of that competition at the top of the league and I think I think the same will happen again Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I like I like your your outlook there. Um, I think just with the TV money coming in to play next year, probably now really, because clubs will start spending with that in mind. It's sort of you got people like Leicester at the top, you got Watford in the top Palace. half, you got Palace sitting, I think they're level on points of Spurs, who are fourth. Yeah, yeah, Watford are um, all behind them. Even West Ham, who are a bit shit, are up there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they'll all be sitting there thinking, you know what? If we spend a little bit more money, we could really have a go. And there'll be there'll be lots of clubs in that position come come summer thinking we're not far off we could have a go like everyone's going to suddenly think you know it's not impossible Leicester are leading the way and you're right it's going to create hopefully an exciting league for the next few years which is a massive change from what it's been for since Mourinho came to the country the first time yeah alternatively Mourinho goes to United Guardiola goes to City they both spend 150 million in the summer (laughs) and just run away with the two of them nip that in the bud yeah maybe but it it would be good it would be good to find out I'd like to see and I I honestly don't think I think the great thing about the Premier League is the strength of the so-called smaller teams and as you alluded to Si now Leicester City or Watford or anyone can buy a can buy a player for fifteen million quid, twenty million quid, and not have to worry about going out of business or yeah. thinking, "All oh, right, if we mess up here, we're we're going to be in serious trouble." But 
Time will tell. We've run out of time. Obviously, it's Christmas Day on Friday, so there'll be no radio show. Um, we will be back next Monday with a podcast. Hopefully, you know, we'll, uh, we'll be looking back at the Everton game. And uh, Is it next Monday we play West Brom? Oh, yeah, it is, isn't it? So we'll get to it after the West Brom game. What time's again? Three o'clock. Cool. Are you sure? No. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it mustn't be three o'clock. Uh, we could do it after the West Brom game, and then uh, me and Mike are off to South Africa, so you'll be left in the capable hands of Mickey Sai. After that, Ben's coming to South Africa too. We're going to watch England play cricket. Bit of an update on my holiday plans there. Um, <laughs> do you want to give me a flight number? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, thanks. I know. Right, thanks very much for listening. See you.